Partly due to virtual and remote care and digitized health records, there has been a growth in the amount of health data being generated, which needs to be stored and managed. But how interoperable, accessible and shareable is this data? While critical to the future of patient health care, lack of interoperability, as well as data silos, have been viewed as barriers to the adoption of digital health technologies, information sharing and collaboration, especially in light of COVID-19. And where there is data, there is a threat to privacy and security. Worryingly, the number of healthcare cyber attacks in the Asia-Pacific region are expected to rise. There has been an immense uh, digital revolution that has taken place around us. What is missing is the ability for data integration at the right place, at the right time, for right purposes then it's about managing risk. It's not about just pretending that breach won't happen. But we have to have the best possible security to prevent that, but accept it and manage it and really evolve as finance and others have evolved to to manage that risk. Personally, and looking at all the literature, I think the data is owned, a patient owns the data or the citizen owns their data. So they have the control over. This is Healthcare Redefined a podcast series which explores the vital issues driving digital change and innovation in the healthcare sector in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm Elizabeth Suker, Senior Research Manager at Economist Impact. This podcast is commissioned by Philips. In this episode, we will explore the evolving use of data and its management in the Asia-Pacific healthcare sector. What are the opportunities and barriers? and why security is an urgent issue if systems are to fully enable the better use of data to support outcomes. To allow for the normal functioning of healthcare systems, there are a multitude of information systems that need to be hosted and managed, from electronic health records to those supporting prescribing, clinical management and radiology, to name just a few. Data breaches, small or large, can place a strain on our trust in data sharing but this is necessary to connect patient data across health settings and promote greater interoperability. At the same time, digital health technologies, without proper planning and safeguards, can contribute to health inequities through a digital divide instead of benefiting patients equally. It is crucial that any risks are mitigated and that users are committed to the ethical and responsible use of data. We have three guests today, Tim Shaw, Professor of Digital Health and Director of the Research in Implementation Science and eHealth Group at the University of Sydney in Australia. Dr. Bunshai Kishsanayotin, Chair of the Asia eHealth Information Network, a collaboration created by the World Health Organization to help Asian countries with their digital health development. He is also a health informatician at the Thai Health Information Standards Development Centre affiliated to Thailand's Ministry of Public Health. And Dr. Samira Asma, Assistant Director General for Data, Analytics and Delivery for Impact at the World Health Organization. Welcome and thank you. So there is so much data out there. Professor Shaw, what are the benefits of data integration for healthcare systems, healthcare professionals and patients themselves? I mean, there's obviously multiple benefits 
to the integration of data sets to overcome some of the major hurdles we see at the moment. So particularly in Australia, it's still very hard to track patients between facilities. So as you move from hospital to hospital, there's still great breaks in that. And it's very difficult to do that tracking. We have significant breaks between our primary and our acute care data sets as well, which is kind of an artifact of the way we fund care in Australia. But that really that really contributes to challenges there. So I think there's immediate benefits to patients in terms of being able to care for them kind of longitudinally throughout their journey throughout Australia. I think for clinicians, it's it's really um, there's lots of benefits for integration of data in terms of supporting their decision-making process and also supporting the way that they actually deliver care, again, in an integrated way. Australia has My Health Record, which has around 23 million people on it, and quite a number of those records have data in them. How would you like to see this develop over time? My Health Record is excellent in carrying a, a lot of information and data around your allergies and pathology and imaging and so on. But I think really where we need to start to head to now is how we can, in a, in a sense, actually bring those data sets together as we need them at that moment in time. So, so aggregate data in an integrated way to immediately support the care of that patient in there. So I think as we evolve the My Health Record system, it will become more agile, more granular. You can actually access to change the way they actually deliver care. At the moment, it still contains a lot of um, more static information that you can bring up about a patient, but we actually need that data to be more accessible uh, for immediate patient care. Thank you for that. Australia spends around 10% of its GDP on health versus around 4% for Thailand. Dr. Kijsana Yoten, what's the situation in Thailand? Is there data integration or are these areas that we need further development? Thailand has uh, to, to strive for the uh, integration of the data and also health information exchange for many, many years. And we are, uh, uh, the COVID uh, situation has been revealed that uh, we have uh, this uh, challenge. And uh, we try to integrate the uh, uh, health information uh, system uh, since two, more than 20 years ago. What success is that we can only exchange or integrate the reimbursement data for the insurance or exchange between parties. So the challenge of the interoperability and health information exchange and to integrate data for the continuity of care to serve universal health care coverage or uh, to link the health uh, information from the primary care to secondary care and to the tertiary care is the mostly needed in Thailand. And we are now working on that. And what or one part that we are working on that is the developing the health information standard. Uh, we look at uh, several countries, Australia, New Zealand, UK, and, and the Europe, all the model that we can and leave from that. That's a really interesting point. Just to pick up on this idea of the data in the primary care, secondary and tertiary care, even data in community care, what is the first step that we need to consider as a society to make this work? Professor Shaw? So the challenge we have is that we've had a funding arrangement where primary care has been funded through the federal government, whereas acute care services tend to be funded through the state government. So they've been kind of developed and evolved separately. It's an artificial separation. We need to bring those together. And my health record is certainly a step in that direction to allow that. So if you're in in an acute care setting, you can access my health record for a patient and see some of their primary care data. But it's not 
granular yet. So it's not the full data. It's not the, the, the living data that's being put into the electronic medical record within the GP practice. It's snippets of that. It's discharge summaries and, and so on. It's not actually all the data you need. Dr. Asma, as the lead on data and analytics at the World Health Organization, how do you see data integration? What is missing is the ability for data integration at the right place at the right time for right purposes and also ensuring that there is data governance mechanisms that are built in for data sharing. So I think some countries are doing well, but there are immense opportunities for countries to learn quickly so that the successful solutions can be scaled up rapidly. Thank you for that. Dr. Kij Sanayotin, your work with the Asia eHealth Information Network, which involves some 15 countries, including low- to middle-income countries. Looking at the Asia-Pacific region, which countries are the most advanced or offer the best practices around data integration? I think Singapore. The Singapore and uh, Taiwan and Hong Kong integrated data down to the clinical data, not just the administrative data. My health record in Australia also inspired us uh, that uh, we at least, uh, this is the first step that uh, you can assess at least summary of the data about the individuals that can be held for acute care or the continuity of care. And we know that we have a long way to go. Dr. Asma, I understand that you recently visited Thailand. What did you discover from that experience, especially in relation to COVID-19 and data sharing? I think, uh, the again, the pandemic has really provided a lot of opportunities for innovation. What I have seen uh, in Thailand is the multi-sectorality of how various public and private organizations came together and data sharing was one of the main global goods in terms of responding to the pandemic in an effective way. And here what we saw was how the innovations happened around telehealth, telemedicine, sharing information from transport to supply chains to healthcare to patients accessing information, telephones, hotlines. So it was a real, at a national level, a web of various government and non-government institutions coming together and providing in one whole data system architecture uh, the information that is needed to the public, to the policymaker, to the civic society uh, groups and to the private sector uh, for innovations to happen, uh, hospitals to be stood up in a matter of short time. We are at a very interesting time to gather these best practices and make that available as a global marketplace for countries to use. I agree that sharing best practices will certainly help take us to the next level. Professor Shaw, are you in agreement with Dr. Kij Sanayotin's comments? Do you think it's Singapore, Taiwan and Hong Kong that are taking the lead in the region? 
Also, I'd like to ask your thoughts on whether it is always necessarily a good thing for lower-income countries in Asia-Pacific region to adopt and or adapt data integration solutions from higher-income settings. I agree that Singapore and Hong Kong and countries like that are, are, are doing a good job on, on, on their data integration. I think Australia, as I've said, is heading in that direction, but, but struggling to have a really genuinely integrated data set between acute. We're having systems like My Health Record put in. I think some of the um, I mean, advantage that you have in lower income countries that are moving into this space is that they can learn from the mistakes we made as well and actually get some systems that are integrated in at the, at the grassroots level to actually integrate those primary acute care data sets, which I think we haven't done. We have totally different providers of electronic medical records for primary care than acute care services. And I think this is where some of the challenge comes. So I hope that low um, middle income countries can, can actually learn from that and adopt systems that actually at the grassroots integrate that data. Then you don't have to create systems that kind of link and and create those systems. I think another challenge you have there as well is we have multiple instances of our electronic medical record systems. So the move in Australia as well is to try and get single instances of of an application. So you have multiple hospitals integrated together at once. In New South Wales, there's a, a major project that's just under development now called the Single Digital Patient Record, the SDPR. So that means that every citizen in New South Wales will have a single acute data set record. And that's going to be introduced over the next three to five years, which will be a huge step forward. I really uh, uh, agree with him that uh, for the lower middle country is the advantage we can live for, we can learn not to do. And what we learned a lot from these uh, in the past 20 years is that what not to do. And then we don't have the legacy data uh, information system. That is the advantage of the lower middle income country. And Professor Shaw, how has the pandemic exposed our data integration weaknesses? And what level are we at if we look at this as a continuum of digital change over time? What COVID has done in my mind is really expose the weaknesses in these processes. Um, It's forced us to actually need to share data, to look at decision support across organisations and so on. We suddenly realised that we've really got some fundamental flaws. Uh, I often refer to the horizons of of, of healthcare innovation. We use that in Queensland and other states where Horizon 1 in digital health is really where we've got to sort some things out. We've got to sort out interoperability. We've got to um, work out how we can link devices and apps seamlessly into care. Horizon 2 is how we can start to use them in normal business as usual. But then Horizon 3 is where it gets interesting is when you then start to use those to actually change care. At the moment, we're not doing that. We're digitizing 19th century healthcare. Everything we're doing is kind of replicating the model we have and, and just trying to digitize it to make it a bit electronic rather than then saying, OK, once we've got this, what do we do with it? And that's the exciting end, particularly as a researcher. So I think that's where we need to head. And I think we're in this disruption and COVID's given us a big push into Horizon 2. Um, but then we need to now use that leverage we've got and move to Horizon 3. Healthcare Redefined is a podcast series commissioned by Philips. And now here's a word from our sponsor. Since 2016, Philips has supported original research to help determine the readiness of countries to address global health challenges and build efficient and effective health systems. 
The Future Health Index focuses on the crucial role digital tools and connected care technology can play in delivering more affordable, integrated and sustainable healthcare. With almost 3,000 healthcare leaders surveyed across 15 countries, the 2022 Future Health Index focuses on how data and advanced analytics are giving healthcare providers new tools which enhance their ability to deliver care to all sectors of their communities, both in and out of traditional hospital settings. Click the link in the show notes to access the report. Countries can certainly learn from each other about better practices around data integration. But more widely, I couldn't help thinking so much good work is being done, perhaps in isolation. Australia has the five SAFEs framework, which looks at five risks around data. And the NGO Transform Health has prepared recommendations for building a global data governance framework. But do we need a global data sharing framework? I think we could spend a lot of time developing international frameworks that maybe don't necessarily have a, an application at the local level. A fair point from Professor Shaw. Another crucial area to consider is how we use data for research and the public good and how we protect the privacy of people and who at the end of the day owns the data. The COVID-19 pandemic put this at the heart of the healthcare systems as we scrambled for data during a crisis. Ultimately, we want to produce a trusted health data space. In Europe, for instance, we have the GDPR approach. But is that the best way forward for all? I asked Dr. Asma, how can we get this trusted health data space so that our systems have enough checks and balances in place? There are pros and cons for the approaches that have been put forward. The European GDPR is one possibility. But what we have also learned is that many countries that are supplying data to multilateral organizations or to the consortium do not often get the benefits and the rewards of collating that data and using it nationally as well as benefiting it regionally and globally. So I think we need a modular approach where we subscribe to key data principles. Data belongs to the countries, data belongs to the individual. And I think we should make sure that is that remains on our radar. But at the same time, we want to make sure that the data is shared when we talk about genomic surveillance, for example, or when we talk about public health surveillance, when we want to use data to drive policies, compare the best practices between and within countries to advance those policies. So those data need to be shared publicly, anonymized. When we talk about data sharing during emergencies and during peacetime, uh, there are different modalities one needs to apply. And during emergencies, we must make data quickly, not only available, but there is a time lag to it because timeliness truly saves lives. So we need, again, a modular approach where all countries subscribe to some basic principles that data in principle should be a global, open, public good, 
but we want to make sure that the technology offers the solutions for interoperability as well as privacy and protection. Thanks for that. There are also concerns about where data may end up. For example, health data on a smartwatch which monitors how much exercise you have undertaken could in theory reach a health insurance company or not. How can we achieve this goal of a trusted health data space while at the same time understanding society has needs, especially during a crisis like COVID? Dr. Kish Sanayotin, what are your thoughts on this? Personally, and looking at all the literature, I think the data is owned, a patient owns the data or the citizen owns that data. So they have the control over. But when we have the public health issue, then we have to balance both. You cannot keep all your data without sharing this uh, for the public goods. So this is the delicate situation between how much we can put it as a uh, public good and how much uh, you can keep for your privacy. Not to mention that the data you share for the marketing, for the insurer, that is very dangerous uh, for the individual. If we don't protect the individual, privacy or the confidentiality of that, then we cannot build or create a trusted system of sharing data. That's very interesting. Professor Shaw, what's your take on the philosophies around data ownership? Is GDPR the best approach? And were there any lessons to be learned from Australia when my health record was first conceptualised? I think there's an inevitability to GDPR becoming increasingly universal in its conceptualization of it's it's us as individuals own our own data. You may may be aware that when we had my health record in Australia rolled out, we had an awful lot of trouble around this, and and it was an opt out system, and we hadn't we had a huge societal debate really about how do we manage that health information that's contained within my health record, and I think it really showed that. Consumers are really aware of this and, and, and are cautious. And I think we failed to gain the social license that we need in Australia to actually create these systems effectively. Something that's absolutely vital that we, we're transparent about what we're going to do with people's information. They own it. Most people are very comfortable with the data to be shared between organisations for their direct benefit, for their care. I think then we've got to be much smarter about asking permission to use data. So there's many technologies, blockchain and others, that we can use to inform a, a patient that, that data wants to be shared. So if, if a clinician or somebody else wants to access your data, the technology is available now where we can request that on your app. You can say yes and off it goes. So we, we, we need kind of flexible consents and variable consent processes to allow people to access and use data. And we just haven't gone down that route. What about individuals accessing their own electronic health records? How interested are patients in this, actually? I think they're interested when they need to. And I think in Australia, we never really demonstrated the great value of accessing and sharing data. So I don't think we created the test cases of people with chronic disease, somebody like myself who has atrial fibrillation, some cardiovascular issues. You know, it really helps me to share my information and data. When I see my cardiologist, I want that data to be shared with my GP, not faxed to them. I, I want that kind of data to be mobile and, uh, and available. If that's not happening to you, then it doesn't really matter. I mean, if you're a young person, you don't want to be given the wrong blood group. So, again, I think everybody's different and you change as you move through life and we've got to be able to accommodate and adopt to that. If patients have different views on whether they want to access their own medical health data, 
an area that unites them, however, are concerns around data breaches. They expect healthcare systems, acting as custodians, to protect their data from cyber attacks, which have been on the rise. Data security is going to be hugely important if we're going to have trusted healthcare systems. So, is that going to be the biggest barrier for us around data integration? Dr. Asma, what are your thoughts on this? It's an important question around cyber attacks. We have seen here Red Cross experienced a significant cyber attack recently. And it is a clarion call again uh, for organizations uh, to whom public has put their trust in with data and information. And it spans across multilateral organizations and national organizations and all healthcare. Technology exists, but that has to be matched with data governance, data literacy, and also it is very important to bridge the IT with the health sector so that there is a real dialogue that takes place on Again, what data are we gathering? How are we curating the data? How is that data being used ultimately to improve uh, lives and livelihoods of the populations? So I think having that clarity and the governance around it with proper literacy and keeping up with technology is going to be extremely important. Technology is innovating by every second. I think we and healthcare or public health are very much behind in keeping up with. And that's where the notion of partnerships and collaboration comes in. It's very important for public sector to be open to partner with the private sector. Cybersecurity is a challenge for many industries, not just health. But why is the healthcare sector more vulnerable compared to other sectors? Dr. Kish Sanayotin, what are your thoughts on this? Health and medical care adopt to digital technology later than the another industry like the aerospace and also the financing. That is more at one on that. And with those, then they work on much on the security and prevent the cyber attack. Health data is more vulnerable than another because of we lack Several years lag behind another industry. Professor Shaw, are we so behind other industries? I agree, Boonchai. We, we haven't had that transformation. Finance became fully digital many years ago, and lots of industries have been through that. So we've been able to get away with it in health because we we're not really digital. We still work in silos. Our data is separated, and we, we, it's been hard to crack it. But as, as we become digital, obviously that risk rises. Because um, what we can't do in health is stick our heads in the sand and say, okay, we're just not going to digitize because it's too hard, right? It's too risky. And then we'll lose all the benefits. It would be like we can't risk breaches in financial data, therefore we're going to go back to not having e-banking. We're not going to be able, it means I can't fly and visit Boon Chai in Thailand and use my credit card in a small cafe, which I can do now. So health, we've got to change our thinking, accept that to have the benefits of in true interoperability, that comes with risk. And then it's about managing risk. It's not about just pretending that breach won't happen. But we have to have the best possible security to prevent that, but accept it and manage it and really evolve as finance and others have evolved to, to manage that risk. Thanks for that. 
so much to learn from other industries who have long digitalized. Another issue that comes up with data quite a bit is equity. I'd like to hear your thoughts on how we tackle this digital divide in healthcare. It's one of the major priorities of, of digital health is to is to ensure equity and um, and that's equity on lots of different levels. Uh, I mean, in Australia, we obviously have a large Indigenous population, uh, which is a which is a, a huge challenge in in healthcare, and we know we've underserved that population and. Uh, the challenges we're just working on a project in Northern Territory around this, and it's very easy to to just say it's too hard and and, and not take on those challenges because there's so many different variables um, in in those remote communities in terms of access to information, access to data, clear identities. There's just so much, many variables in there that we just don't have in in a city, Sydney. The other thing we know is that. That, that most people that can benefit from digital health and information are in lower socioeconomic backgrounds or vulnerable populations. So it's very important that we emphasise that because a lot of digital health at the moment is focusing on affluent suburbs, everywhere's, everybody's digital, everybody's got phones, everybody understands how to use technology. It's very easy to build tech for those populations. So I think it's going to be one of our great challenges in the next you know, three to five years is to ensure that, that we, we keep that equity. Things are getting better, but still we have not really deciphered the complexity and the connectivity with the underserved populations. And when we talk about the sustainable development goals, it is built with the principle of leaving no one behind. But we have also seen the rapid accessibility of cell phones, for example, and how in the other sectors, whether it is agriculture or fisheries, uh, we are seeing even the ones, populations that perhaps are not literate are able to conduct business using cell phones. Again, drawing from the example from my visit recently in Portugal, What we have seen is they have used retired nurses and healthcare workers to provide training on how to access digital solutions to the elderly. So I think it is important for us to monitor and make sure that those that are underserved are getting the access. But we may also need to consider a hybrid of not relying completely on digital But we also know that the world is moving in that direction. So a transition needs to take place where there is a hybrid of in-person as well as um, using digital tools. Hybrid models, yes. But how will this all fit into personalised healthcare? Looking towards the future, Professor Shaw, where do you see the healthcare sector going in relation to data use? So I think we're heading to a um, a future where um, clinicians have fingertip touch access to information about their patient population, the outcomes of those patients, how they compare to their peers, how their care is managed. I think we'll just have that totally ready access to that information, which is which is totally lacking. Clinicians at the moment are largely flying blind about the care they deliver and the outcomes of their care. So I think that's a, a big revolution we're going to have. I think when I look at what some of the biggest advances for patients will be, I think is really moving towards personalization. I think it's really moving towards a, a different model where it's about risk assessment, early detection of deterioration, early detection of, of chronic disease, and then really personalizing the care that you receive 
through the information and data that surrounds you. So I think that's where we're going to go. The better use of data, understanding the issues around interoperability, while managing the risks around privacy and cybersecurity, will drive the digital transformation of healthcare services in the Asia-Pacific region. It will also drive us towards personalized care. That is it for this episode of Healthcare Redefined. Next time, we will look at virtual and remote care. If you like what you have heard, please follow the podcast series. And thanks again to our sponsor, Philips, and our guests, Professor Tim Shaw, Dr. Samira Asma, and Dr. Bunshai Kishsana Yoten. And do visit the Healthcare Redefined website, where you can find articles and videos on the digital transformation of healthcare in the Asia-Pacific region.